You're listening to Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. This is episode 30. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, the podcast that puts Bitcoin knowledge within everyone's reach. As always, I'm your host, Josh Humphrey, and today my guest is Dan Held. Dan is with Picks and Shovels, and they are building Interchange, which is a portfolio management tool for institutional traders. Um, Think of it kind of like Mint.com for crypto hedge funds. So Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Dan, um, I'm excited. Uh, you and I have been trying to schedule here for, for a little while. Um, I think the most important reason that you needed to be on the show is that now we can finally balance out the number of Aggies versus Longhorns that have been on this show. So, <laughs> no. Um, How many has that been? Uh, well, I had Michael Goldstein, Pierre Richard, and Drew Bansel all on the show. And so, including myself you and Clark Moody that that's even now at three apiece. Nice. Nice. So I need, I need other Aggies to, to come on the show in a, in a, well, no, uh, in all seriousness though. Yeah. Yeah. In all seriousness though, um, you've, you've put out a lot of stuff recently between medium articles and tweet storms. That's, uh, that's kind of been eye catching. Um, and, uh, and then you guys are getting ready to, um, kind of release your, your first version of interchange pretty soon. Right. Yeah, that's right. We get we got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, you know, most excited about. You know, we've been heads down building interchange for the last ten months here, and really excited to uh, to launch with our few select alpha clients. And uh, it's it's a long journey because with a portfolio management tool, it's not useful unless it has complete functionality. It's, you know, if you can only calculate eighty percent of your portfolio, it's not that useful for you. Right, right. <laughs> I imagine that would be frustrating. Um, okay, well, let's actually let's take a step back and kind of give us your background as far as um, how you got into Bitcoin and maybe maybe your your background before that as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, I studied finance in undergrad at Texas A and M. Uh, graduated and worked at a small investment firm in Dallas. They relocated me to San Francisco in January 2013. Um, I had been interested and started playing around with Bitcoins in terms of bought some with BitInstant and, you know, um, bought some with BitInstant and started to play around and move them around. And at the time, I, you know, in 2012, we were using the Bitcoin QT wallet. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty rough user experience. And uh, so that, uh, you know, my interest started in 2012. And so when they, when that investment firm relocated me to San Francisco, I, you know, wanted to get more plugged into the scene. So I started going to the San Francisco Bitcoin meetup, which was a meetup hosted by Trade Hill with the, uh, and there's only about 15 of us at the time. And, and you had like Charlie Lee, um, Brett and, uh, Fred and Brian uh, from Coinbase. Uh, you had, you know, Ryan Singer over at Chia, formerly at Trade Hill and like Jed McCaleb. It was, it was a really small group. And uh, that's what that's what kind of you know it was cool to to feel that community, 
because I had uh, never really felt that anywhere in Texas. There, Bitcoin in 2012 in Texas, there was almost no one else who was yeah. getting into it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you you really, yeah. I mean, I w- I would consider you an OG then. I've survived. I've survived. <laughs> I didn't uh, mess up my cold storage. I didn't send the my bitcoins to the wrong address. So I'd say I survived. Very cool. And so, um, and then and then, when did you start really um, doing bitcoin related stuff as a career? Yeah. So I, I moved out to San Francisco January 2013, and during the March 2013 price run up, I had this big pain point. And it was around checking the real-time price of Bitcoin on my iPhone. At the time, there was no iPhone app that had real-time market data, which is really frustrating because as the price is fluctuating, you know, 20 to 40% intraday, you know, I was incessantly like refreshing different websites and, and, and trying to find more information as to why the price was moving. And so because of that pain point, I, uh, my buddy Kevin Johnson and I, built ZeroBlock, which was the first real-time market data and newsfeed aggregator. And to put this in context, the news that we scraped at the time or that we aggregated together, this was (laughs) pre-Coindesk. Right, yeah. (laughs) There was was no, we we scraped our, the Bitcoin subreddit, uh, the hot thread. So <laughs> it was it was a long time ago, but we built it for ourselves because we had this big pain point where the prices are moving. We want to understand, you know, what was the I want I want to know Bitcoin's price per second, and and I want to see what's moving the market. And so we built it for ourselves, and it turned out a lot of other people had that same pain point. So zero block became really popular in late 2013, and it's popular in the crypto context, not uh, not a mainstream, not a mainstream, right? Context, sure, right? You know, it's kind of going to be in the tallest midget. It's not really, uh, <laughs> for crypto, it was popular. So we, it, and it was so popular that we got acquired by blockchain.info where I came on board there as the first product manager. Um, after being at blockchain for a year, I moved on to change tip, uh, change tip. If, if people don't remember, it was a micropayments over social media, uh, app. So you could send small amounts of money on Twitter or Facebook we were really trying to engage that micropayments use case. So I uh, was a PM over there for a bit. And then during the cold crypto winter, I went to Uber, where I was on Rider Growth, uh, led by Andrew Chen, and then on the global data team. <clears throat> and of course, being away from my first love for that long, I had to come back. And uh, after the prices started to rise again, you know, my first love was really calling my name and that, you know, that was crypto. So I came back into the space and wanted to do a B2B play this time um, and really felt that there was a big, big pain point for these professional or institutional traders around um, reconciling all that trade and transaction history. And a lot of us here in terms of retail traders or consumers have, have tried to reconcile all of their activity for taxes and I think everyone here is if you're if you're paying your taxes you definitely feel you definitely felt the pain point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's a hassle to figure out well when did I buy this and what was it worth and then what was it worth if you yeah, yeah. Let's see, you wrote an article, a medium article not too long ago about hodling. Um now that's that's curious to me that you worked for um Change Tip. So so tell me about that then, like because you come off to me as like a, you know, the store of value kind of guy. 
but you've you've got that experience then with with trying to make those small payments. Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, how did I end up here? Um, you know, I ended up on the store of value gold 2.0. I I'd always kind of felt that way. I, you know, for me, Bitcoin was always a representation of, hey, this is a new financial system. Um, by putting your money in Bitcoin, here's a way to opt out of the existing one, which it's more of a gold 2.0 sort of use case rather than a uh, new visa. Uh, however, you know, there was not many products you could work on at the time that, that really fit that store of value use case. So I tried out the medium of exchange use case with both blockchain with their, their merchant tool and change tip. And it was through that when I quickly realized that people didn't want to use this for payments uh, or at least payments in the retail transactional way. You know, it's not faster, cheaper, or easier to use. Uh, there's a high amount of friction. It, it, there's a lot of education that has to go on. And so through that, that kind of reinforced my opinion that the, the primary use case for Bitcoin or the best product market fit or protocol market fit use cases is store value. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, and then you a couple of weeks ago when now I think had the uh, had your article that proof of work is efficient. Can I talk about that idea a little bit? Sure. Well, I, you know, for a long time I sat there and kept hearing all these articles over and over and over again throughout the years that you know, Bitcoin mining is super destructive to the environment and that basically Bitcoin mining is going to bring about the end of mankind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to boil the oceans and we're all going to suffocate under Bitcoin miners. Right, right. Uh, Pollute the air and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I wrote Proof of Work is Efficient uh, because I, I grew a little frustrated with some of the narratives that I was reading. Uh, from a first principles perspective, it, there, my gut instinct told me that there was a gross mischaracterization of Bitcoin mining and, and its relative energy usage compared to other things in the world. So I set about to go test my my hypothesis or my gut instinct that Bitcoin mining was efficient. And so went out and, and gathered data over, over about four months in terms of tweet storms, medium posts from people I really respected in this space. And a lot of them are quoted in, in the medium post and the tweet storm. And <clears throat> through that, wanted to construct a narrative that was really simple and understandable for a layman. You know, they could go and they could they could read this and, and use it as something to counter, um, you know, counter all of that, all, all of those misconceptions out there. So, I wrote it starting from what is energy, what is work, what is money, what does that represent, and then I go all the way through to uh, touching on okay, look, so everything in this world is relative to something else, and if it is relative, then what are the other relative uses of energy that we should compare it to. And that's where we can, I started to compare it to like the financial system and gold mining. And, and it's, uh, it's kind of funny because Satoshi actually addressed this back in 2010, uh, where someone was worried about the electricity usage of Bitcoin mining. And his response was much more simple than mine, but essentially said, Hey, for its, its utility, it's worth the energy cost. Yeah. And, uh, this would be a good reminder for everybody out there. If you want to go look through things that Satoshi said, um, if you go to the Nakamoto Institute, they've got archives of forum posts. And I think they re recently added um, searchable emails um, from the mailing list. So, I mean, this stuff is out there. Like you said, he answered a lot of these things, but yeah. 
Yeah, that's you know that's great that you brought that up. It's it's an awesome resource. I highly recommend it. It's it's where I try to you know I think I think Satoshi's like his perspective is great. Um, I don't overly rely on it, but I like to add it because I think it gives some good color as to original intent and also indicates that he had thought of some of these things. And I use the word he because pronoun he because he did use he um, in his uh, profile selection. Yeah. So Yeah, we don't know. Maybe it was aliens. So who, who knows? It could have been a time travel. It could have been aliens. Right. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, you know, I think it's really great to like look back and see like, okay, did he conceptualize some of this if he didn't or didn't? You know, if he did or didn't, it doesn't matter too much, but it just, it's a nice color. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I don't hold him in the same way that, you know, you, you would hold a religious text. It's not infallible, but but it is especially when it's especially when people start to to argue about oh satoshi's true vision and stuff and then you can go back and look and go well, okay but he says right here i mean if that's the track that you want to defend then it says right here so um yeah you're exactly right like if someone wants to use that as a part of their argument then sure we can go cite some of that but i find it just interesting as one component of many different pieces of data yeah so in this article i like like you get into this idea of the energy dollar. Um, it's something we've kind of, we don't really talk about much anymore. I think it was something historically that was kind of discussed. Let's, um, can you kind of give us a, an explanation of that? Yeah. So an energy dollar was the idea that you could, you could use electricity as a currency. And it was really popular with back in the early 20th century with Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. Um, but I went deeper with that because I felt like there was something even 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 deeper with the with the idea of energy currency. And when you think about it, since everything in this world is energy according to the laws of thermodynamics, and that's not a theory of thermodynamics, that's a law of thermodynamics. Um, really, all all money represents is the energy that was required to to create a good or service, um, and that or service the creation of it took time so really money is a representation of energy and time uh, stored in a and stored in a in a substance like the dollar or bitcoin uh, for people that de- then go use uh, to unlock other forms of work or services yeah 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 that makes sense because i mean if you take it back to like a direct barter system right like you're um you would have like say you've got I don't know carrots and I've got chickens and that you know that chicken represents the time and energy that you put into raising that chicken and that carrot represents the me tilling the ground and blah 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 and raising those carrots up and then if we trade but then money itself solves that that um, that problem of the coincidence of wants where you may not actually want carrots or I may not want chickens or I may not want chickens right now and, and so money kind of solves that for us. And so it just takes that next transitive step, I guess. That's right. It's a, it's a better vessel um, if you want to think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's a great example. I think the chickens and carrots example is fantastic because it's, it's highlighting, you know, we all know if we've ever had a garden or if anyone's lived on a farm, it takes a lot of work and effort to grow something, whether that be an animal or a plant. And, and so that is a, a good example of, of them being representative of energy and time. So then one of the other big things in this article that I love 
talking about is is the aluminum uh the similarities to aluminum that's right yeah so i so in in writing this article i went back in history and you know history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes and i wanted to see if there was any analogies or any information i could glean from history that might help inform us as to what direction bitcoin mining might go in the future in terms of electricity usage and, and what that means so found that the aluminum uh, smeltering industry is really really similar to where um, they, they essentially take bauxite and use a large amount of electricity and convert that into aluminum so raw bauxite ore is a one-way hash function into aluminum and I found this great quote from the Icelandic, I, I forget the minister of something, uh, but things like the minister of finance. And he said, in Iceland, we have all this trapped energy, but we export that energy through the smelting of bauxite into aluminum. So really we export electricity in the form of aluminum. And that, I felt that that was very representative of Bitcoin, especially as a commodity currency, is essentially taking the the commodity, the ultimate commodity in, this, in, the, in the universe, which is energy, and converting that via a one-way hash function into uh, Gold 2.0. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because you talk about, um, you know, transporting energy via these goods. And, um, and yeah, yeah, Bitcoin can be that too. Because um, if you think about these places where you have potential for uh, nature-based energy, right? Um, that, that maybe is out kind of in a frontier type situation. Um, you have that potential that, to, to send it via Bitcoin with less infrastructure. You don't have to have trucking or railroads or something built out to that as long as you've got a consistent internet connection you can transform it mining into bitcoin and then just send the bitcoin yeah exactly and you know there's actually two other examples that i'd like to use as well uh, one was the conversion of uh, fruits and grains into alcohol it's a, oh. it's a one-way function oh yeah that that converts it into something easier to carry because you know carrying a whole barrel of, of wheat or, or whatever, whichever other grain is used to distill certain types of alcohol you know, that's a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, size and volume but in that distilled form it's more transportable it's divisible and it's more valuable um, it's got better properties to it so early settlers in the when they were settling the west they actually used whiskey as a form of commodity currency um, more like a barter but it was a good form of bartering because whiskey doesn't really go bad. Right. And it's divisible. Um, so, and it's pretty verifiable in terms of you can taste it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, and we see this as well with gold. You know, it's, it's, it's actually really, really, really hard to create gold. Otherwise, if it was easy, if it didn't have, unco- you know, um, if it didn't have costly... You know, if it, if it wasn't costly to create, then we would have a ton of gold. And so, you know, gold is only created through some very intense uh, natural processes. And that's why we haven't seen um, people, you know, back in, I think, was it 17, 1800, where people were trying to create gold out of lead? <laughs> yeah, yeah, alchemy. Alchemy, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, 
uh, you know, they, <laughs> throughout, we, we've seen that it's a one-way function um, and that it's, it, once it transmutes into that final state, it's more valuable in that state due to its properties that it has. Talk to me about, um, in this article, the, the proof of work is efficient. You talk about a type one civilization. What does that mean? A type one civilization is a civilization that harnesses all of the energy available to it on a planet. And so a type one civilization is something that we should strive towards because as we unlock greater and greater efficiency from our energy that we can harness, whether that be wind or solar or nuclear or anything else, as we make it more and more efficient, and as we tap into new energy sources like fusion, which is also nuclear, but it's fusion versus fission, as we tap into these energy sources, we unlock greater potential. And that greater potential enables us to do really cool things. So for example, if we reach type one civilization status, we should at that point have fusion energy. And with fusion energy, we get a level, level step decreased in the cost of electricity. And so with that, we can do really cool things like desalinization. Um, uh, yeah. To where like all of a sudden we've got all this water around us that was formerly salt water and we hadn't been converting into, into fresh water as often as we should because it costs a lot of money in electricity. And if that becomes cheaper, then all of a sudden we have our fresh water shortage problem is solved. And so that's one example of what becomes unlocked, but there can be even greater things to where with our ability to harness energy of our planet, we can potentially change the weather or do other really, really cool things. Yeah. I'm just thinking now, like, this is, you know, this is what is annoying when people start bringing up these narratives. Um, I'm like, oh, it's bad for the environment or it's inefficient or whatever. And the reality is it's it's kind of the opposite. And it's, it's, it's going to push people to find the most efficient way. And it's going to fi- push people to find, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say they're necessarily going to go out of their way to make it environmentally friendly, but they're um, at the same time, it's you're, not like they're just pumping sludge out or, or yeah. smoke fumes you're, into you're, the atmosphere. You're exactly right. It, it, it's going to, it's going to be that little push to have us chase down all of the electricity that we can generate across the world. It's, you know, Bitcoin mining as the buyer of last resort for all electricity and it will have a ruthless hunt for the cheapest. They'll always be trying to find cheaper electricity, especially as we see you know, ASIC efficiency drop, or like ASICs get, the chip size gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, then most of the cost is actually in the OPEX, which is the electricity. So it'll be that relentless hunt for cheaper and cheaper electricity, and that's what will drive that that greater efficiency and that greater uh, energy output uh, for our civilization. So let's talk about interchange. You guys, when is when is your alpha releasing? Our alpha is launching in four weeks with a handful of select clients that have a really good fit with us. We've been working with them, incorporating some of their feedback very early on with our roadmap. Um, so we're we're really excited to get launched with them. So up coming up really soon here. I, I guess kind of walk us through what that looks like to some extent. I mean, I, I'm sure you can't give full details and if this is alpha, things can change obviously, but like what does that look like for for those alpha clients when they when they access Interchange? 
So the alpha will be, um, essentially they'll be able to log in, uh, create an account, create different member roles, and pull in all of their different trade and transaction histories through our importing tool. So where they can pull in that information via API key, CSV, or manual entry, and um, on-chain address entry. So they'll be able to import all that data, and then we take all that data and make sense of it. Uh, of course, some of that takes a little bit of finesse, and that's what the alpha is all about, is, is getting this in the hands of customers and really getting their feel for it and and uh, find, you know finally start working with uh, a ton of, ton of trade data from actual users in, in real time. Very cool. I, I love your name, Picks and Shovels. That's, uh, we're, we're cutesy with that's it. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. On, on that point, we did want to have the ability to eventually, you know, if interchange goes well, we wanted to have the flexibility and ability um, to, we wanted that flexibility to be able to have a portfolio of products underneath us. So the idea being that if interchange does well and there's something that's a little bit different than to interchange that doesn't really fit underneath that product, we could create a new product and that brand would, would sit underneath picks and shovels. Yeah, yeah. Leave yourself open. Um, so what's what's next for you? What's next for for picks and shovels? Yeah, for you know, for me I, I handle external relationships for picks and shovels. So I'm the co founder and then I also head up business development, marketing and sales. We've got a small person, a small team of six of us, so we've got to wear a couple different hats. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, really excited about launching. It's been a long time coming. Um, really excited with the team that we have. It's it's a lot of awesome people, and really, you know, looking forward to kind of growing that team and, and really accelerating their efforts. Um, outside of picks and shovels, I will be writing some more content. So I've there's kind of a grand. Uh, vision with this content and it all ties together and that's going to happen uh, before the 10 year anniversary of Bitcoin so there's there's around 6 articles in queue that all bleed up to one final narrative which I can't give away yet Okay, <laughs> but it'll, it'll happen a little bit before uh, 1031 uh, 2018 oh okay so you're you're before the white paper anniversary that's exactly right. Well, yep. Yeah, you're gonna have to get on that because you've only got a couple weeks. Yeah, I know. I I got about uh, two scheduled per week, and uh, proof of work was a particularly challenging one. That gotcha. one took a lot of time. All right. Um, the other ones are a little bit more of a history lesson or or some other things. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. You'll, it'll in the next week or so. The the narrative, the overall narrative that ties it together, will be announced. Well, awesome. This is this is cool, and and the listeners can can be following you and keeping up with your content that you're putting out, then that's great. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I want this to be a resource for everyone too. Yeah. If, uh, I'd like people to challenge it. I'd love people to modify it. I made this for the community. All right. So, um, Dan, how can people keep up with you? I'd say the best way to keep up with me is on Twitter. And my handle is Dan held, uh, that my name on Twitter is Dan Heddle. So, yeah, it always uh, it always throws me off because I see Heddle and then I start searching for it. And I'm like, nope, that's not okay. It's tough. I, I actually own the other Twitter handle as well. Oh, do you? Um, yeah. So I get. I guess I could switch if I want to. I do, I do like my original name as the Twitter handle, but yeah, maybe that is a little confusing. <laughs> no, no, no. You want to keep all your content and your 
your follower accounts and all that stuff. Now keep keep what you got. But uh, okay, so I'll post that and I'll post links to your to your medium content as well. And I believe this is episode thirty. So um, show notes will be at bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash thirty. Um, cool. Dan, anything else? Uh, that's it. I think I think that's it on my end. All right. Well, you guys, uh, you guys check out Dan's stuff and uh, and picks and shovels, and we're excited to see what you guys have in store for the future. And uh, and as you move through this alpha, and then and then on to um, further development. So very cool. All right, Dan, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. See ya. All right. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our show today. I know this was a bit short, but, uh, you know, that's the amount of time we had. Um, Dan and I's schedules had been not working together for some time. So anyway, um, one thing that I kind of wanted to get to and we just didn't get to in that interview was Harmony, which is something that Picks and Shovels has kind of spearheaded. And it is, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Again, that's bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash 30. Um, but, but Harmony is like their standardization for CSV import-export format for, um, for crypto transaction ledgers. So like um, exchanges, wallets, things like that to be able to output. Um, it, this was kind of a pain point for them as they're trying to do all this stuff and for like you're doing your crypto taxes or whatever. Um, you know, me personally, my motto is, uh, there's nothing to be taxed if you never sell, but I know that's not everybody. And, um, so anyways, good on them for kind of spearheading this and going, you know, for them, they looked at it and they just said all these different exchanges, all these different cryptos, they have these different formats and it's such a pain. And so they said, we're going to come up with a standard and we're going to work on this and we want feedback from the community and we want people to be involved. So that's an open source project over on GitHub. And um, like I said, I'll put links in the show notes to that. Um, so anyways, Harmony, check that out. Go follow Dan on Twitter and keep up with Picks and Shovels and the work they're doing. And I linked Dan's um, Medium page as well to all those articles um, and and even between when we recorded and when this episode is posted um, he has already released another article so check those out as he's building up like he says to this I don't know what he's building up to but uh, now I'm really interested um, you guys probably noticed the show has been far less frequent than it used to be I was getting these out almost every week for a while and it's definitely been uh, almost a month since I got the last one out. So anyway, um, that's just a combination of things, scheduling issues between people um, and then grad school as well. Um, you may know, some of y'all may know I started grad school and that's just been eating up a ton of my time. Um, and then I've also launched a Bitcoin Merit Badge, which I'm really excited about, but that's taken some time as well too. And um, this is just kind of fun novelty patches, uh, like Merit Badge kind of morale patch stuff. Um, you can go BitcoinMeritBadge.com and check that out. We've got uh, the first two patches up. You can, you can check those out. It's like an altcoiner search and rescue patch and then a patch honoring uh, Mount Gox. So uh, check those out. So anyways, that's kind of what I've been working on. And uh, yeah, 
the the show's not going away, but it is definitely going to be less frequent in the future. So stay subscribed, don't unsubscribe, but just know that it's going to be less frequent than it used to be as far as when episodes when, when I'm able to put episodes out. Now, in the meantime, here's the shows you should be listening to. If you're not already listening to these shows, like I don't know if you're maybe you're not paying attention or maybe you just hadn't been around long enough, but uh so so I'm going to list some shows that you should be listening to. Okay. Uh, first off is the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. That's with Pierre Richard and uh, Bitstein or Michael Goldstein. Uh, both of them have been on the show and uh, those are great guys and they have a lot of really great guests on their show and uh, they, they can get kind of technical. So if you're new, that doesn't mean don't listen to it. That means listen to it and then in like six months, go back and re-listen to them because you'll get something else out of it the more you learn. Um, so yeah, check that one out. Bitcoin and Markets, that's Ansel Linder. He talks about the financial things and then he also goes into um, kind of the stories that are going on and how that affects the financial side of things. And he talks about futures and mining and all and how all that stuff relates together, like the whole big picture. Um, so that's a good show to listen to. Um, and he's also got, if you uh, support him on Patreon, he's got another series kind of within that same feed called Bitcoin is Freedom, where they talk about a lot of like crypto anarchy kind of stuff and uh, freedom of speech and how that relates to Bitcoin and all that. So that's a really cool show to listen to. Uh, then the next one I would definitely recommend is Tales from the Crypt with Marty Bent. He interviews some great people and he, he doesn't do like uh, bottom shelf Bitcoin, super budget, poor person show. He's like, he's got an actual studio and he has people there in person. And, um, you know, like if you like uh, the Joe Rogan experience, it's like that in crypto. Um, you know, they just hang out and talk for a while couple hours I think some of the episodes so um, some of it's technical some of it's not technical that's a really good and he's uh, started doing a, a rabbit hole recap with Matt Odell on there too where they just kind of uh, review the news of the week so that's that's all on that same feed for Tales from the Crypt so check that one out Cryptoconomy is another good one um, that's where he goes through um great articles in Bitcoin and crypto space and reads them. Um, it's like audible for Bitcoin medium. <laughs> uh, not all of them come from medium. Some of them are from Bitcoin magazine and um, Coindesk and other places. So uh, that's a really good one. I highly recommend you check that one out. So uh, frees up a lot of your spare time. You can, instead of sitting in front of the computer, having to read these articles or scrolling on your phone, you can be mowing or doing the dishes or whatever other mindless task you have to do physically and uh, and listen to those while you're doing that. Um, and then a new one I started listening to recently is Citizen Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, on this show, I've kind of tried to be that, that guy that's learning along with you, um, I think, in a lot of ways. And maybe that comes out, but maybe not. Um, and, and I think Citizen Bitcoin kind of fits that as well. They, uh, they're talk a lot about uh, becoming sovereign citizens of Bitcoin and it's very cool. So check out those shows um, if you are not already listening to them. All right. If you want to support the show, um, you can donate. I've got a pay on the website 
And uh, also you can go to tallyco.in slash bottom shelf BTC. Um, that's Tallycoin. That's DJ Boots uh, fundraising, Bitcoin fundraising kind of front end. Um, that's a that's a cool thing. And you can check out tallyco.in if you want to set up your own for, for fundraising. And then you can always do one-time or recurring fiat support with Patreon. Patreon.com slash bottom shelf Bitcoin. I'm on, I'm still around. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, bottom shelf BTC. Follow me there. I'm still interacting. Um, like I said, just the shows are going to be, the episodes are going to be fewer and farther between a little bit from here for a while for the foreseeable future. So um, hopefully um, I'll get something going for, uh, like Dan and I talked about the 10th anniversary of the white papers coming up. So hopefully I'll get another episode out to kind of celebrate that. And uh, yeah, until next time. Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. I'm Josh Humphrey. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.